0: We give a very warm welcome to everyone joining with us for public worship today, both those in the building here and those who are joining with us online. Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise from Psalm number 103. It's page 369 of the Psalter, and it's at the beginning of the song. Psalm, Psalm 103. Psalm O thou my soul, bless God the Lord. And all that in me is, be stirred up his holy name to magnify and bless. Bless, O my soul, the Lord thy God, and not forgetful be of all his gracious benefits he hath bestowed on thee. We'll sing verses 1 to 5 of Psalm 103. O thou my soul, bless God the Lord. Now let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we have been reminded in the very song that we have just been singing that the activity that we are engaged in at this moment is essentially something of the soul. The psalmist said, O thou my soul, bless God the Lord. And we pray that you would help us to worship you with soul worship this day. We know something of who we are, and we know that we can go through outward rituals that are nothing but sheer hypocrisy. We hoodwink ourselves so often, and we are so expert at hoodwinking others, going through things that are just a great pretense, but we cannot hoodwink you in any way whatsoever. We thank you that that song speaks about your graciousness. Because if it was not for your graciousness, we would have no hope. Because we are here today as sinners. It's the only way we can come before you. And it's not that we have no merit and are neutral. We have mountains of sin. But we thank you that you so love this world that you sent your only begotten Son into it, that whosoever believeth in you should not perish, but have everlasting life. O Lord our God, help us to listen to you. So often we are so full of anxiety and fear because we are listening to our own roving imaginations. So often we are beside ourselves because we are listening to the enemy of our souls whispering all kinds of dishonesties into our ears. O Lord, our God, help us this day to be still and to know that you are God, the God who in his graciousness and kindness has revealed not everything to us, but everything that we need in this world. And so help us to make that our standard and to make it our guide and our directive for all of life's journey. We thank you this day for the sound of little voices in our midst. Bless them, we pray. And we think of the five children yet unborn associated with this congregation. Bless them and their families as well. Bless each and every one, young and old, gathered here this day. And indeed others who are not here for one reason or another. We pray that you'd bless Rachel and Charlie who were married in recent days. Bless Hannah and Roddy who were also married in recent times. Bless Fraser and Tracy who hopefully will be married in coming days. We thank you for the institution of marriage. It is yours. It is under severe attack this day but not anything in this world can destroy you or your institutions. We pray, O Lord, that we would remember that our contentment and blessing lies in listening to you and doing your bidding in everything and yet even as we utter these very words we fail you so miserably every single day but... You are a covenant-keeping God. And the covenant you have made with us makes an accommodation for sin if we come in repentance and confession. And we have to do that every single day. O Lord, our God, we give thanks for family circles this day. And wherever they may be across the globe, be a blessing to them. Protect them and keep them in safety. And may we all be found in the hollow of Christ's hand so that whatever happens to us on life's journey, we are safe in Jesus for time and for eternity. So be with us and bless us for this time of worship. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now, a wee story for the young people. We had a couple of visitors at our house yesterday One was three years old and one was four years old And we had a great time One of the things we decided to do was We decided to go for a walk in the woods beside the house Now we could only do that Because the cows had gone from the field in the last few days Which means that we never go through the field when there's cows in it But uh, the cows have gone and so we went off Greta and I and our visitors and the two dogs off through the woods and it was a great time of excitement because the woods are thick with growth just now and I was saying this is like going through a jungle and one wee chap said to me I want to be the leader leading us through the jungle and that's the way it was and we went up to where the I don't know if you remember there used to be a place called the Black Isle Wildlife Park well it's gone now but the but the red deer are still there there's still 13 of them but in the last few days there have been four new ones born so there's 17 of them now and I wasn't calling them r- red deer I was calling them reindeer and you can guess what the connections were there but anyway we saw the deer and then we saw the horses and then we saw the newborn calves, and we came back to the house. And then, then someone noticed a big tick in Nell's ear. And I don't know how we never noticed it before, but it was noticed. And, um, you know, th- th- this has been a bad year for ticks, because virtually every time the dogs go out for a walk, they come back. And you just get, get rid of them. And they're tiny, tiny little insects. But what, once a tick manages to eat into your uh, skin, it just sucks your blood and it grows and it grows and it grows. And it's amazing the size that these little creatures get to. Well, anyway, when we notice the tick in Nell's ear, nothing for it but to get rid of this tick. And I'm never sure what to do with them, but what I've taken to doing recently is I take them to the toilet and I have great satisfaction just flushing them down the toilet. Anyway, I explained that this is what we did, because you don't want ticks, they can give you a disease and whatnot. So I managed to get rid of get it out. And there was nothing for it, but one of our wee visitors was going to do the flushing down the toilet, and I think he took great satisfaction from doing that. We got rid of it. And you know what that reminds me of? That's exactly what Jesus does for us. Except it's not a tick that Jesus gets rid of, it's our sin. And, uh, you know, you don't want to be getting ticks. Get rid of them and get get them off down the toilet. Get them away from you. We have sin in our lives. Every single one of us. We are here today to worship with our souls this God who has done something about flushing away forever all our sins. And that is an astonishing thing. It's astonishing that God would do that, but he has. And I hope that we are all here today and that we believe God when he tells us he will do this for us. I hope that we are all here today, young and old, trusting in Jesus as our Savior. And remember what that word Jesus means. Call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. He is an amazing God. He is an amazing uh, Jesus. Now let's sing again to God's praise. And this time it's in Psalm uh, number 40. Psalm number 40. And that's found on page 259 of the psalm book of the Psalter. And it's at the beginning of the song. I waited for the Lord my God and patiently did bear. At length to me he did incline my voice and cry to hear. He took me from a fearful pit and from the miry clay. And on a rock he set my feet establishing my way. We'll sing verses 1 to 5 of Psalm 40. I waited for the Lord my God. Let's read God's Word, first of all, in the Old Testament, in the prophecy of Malachi, and at chapter 3. We'll read at the beginning of the chapter. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord." Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old, and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, Against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes, and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, How shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge, or of walking us in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before Him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, In the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him, then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve Him. And we'll read in the New Testament. In the Gospel according to St. Luke, and at chapter 7. We'll read at verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In the hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing... To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace calling to one another. We played the flute to you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Amen. And may God bless to us that reading from his word. Let's join together again in prayer. O Lord, our God, we pray that when we read your word, we would remember that in and of ourselves we are utterly and completely and absolutely blind to spiritual matters. But you have not left us alone. On the great day of Pentecost, you sent your Spirit into this world to open our eyes and to enlighten our minds as to the knowledge and truth as it is In Christ. And we would ask you to have mercy upon us this day. And to come in with us and to do us good. And to enable us to preach and to hear. In a way that would redound to the honour. And to the glory of your name. Wherever your church has met this day. Or perhaps is even meeting at this time or will meet. Bless it. We thank you for it. We pray, O Lord, that many would be added to it. You know our anxieties. You know our fears. You know that there are those that we have in family circles, those that are our friends, those that we work alongside, and we long to be safe in Jesus. We pray that you would come in mighty, saving, and reviving power. And we pray that you would reveal yourself in power this day as we seek to explore these things, at least something of these things that happened 2,000 years ago. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's uh, sing again to God's praise. This time it's Psalm number 63, which is found on page 295 of the Psalter. Page 295, Psalm 63 at the beginning. Lord thee, my God, I lairly seek my soul doth thirst for thee. My flesh longs in a dry parched land wherein no waters be, that I thy power may behold and brightness of thy face As I have seen thee heretofore within thy holy place. Verses 1 to 8 of Psalm 63. Lord thee, my God, I'll early seek. Let's turn to the passage that we've read in the New Testament in the Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 7, and we'll read again at verse 28. Luke, chapter 7, and at verse 28, I tell you, among those born of woman, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore something of this area of uh, Scripture. We're carrying on with our series on uh, John the Baptist uh, today. Let's remember that John the Baptist suffered a severe bout of spiritual depression when he ended up being locked up by Herod the king because he opposed the wrongdoings of Herod and the woman he was married to, Herodias. He ended up in a dungeon and uh, in the gloom of that experience, a question came into his mind as to whether Jesus was really the Messiah or not. And so he sends two of his disciples to Jesus with this question, Are you the Messiah or should we look for another? And the response that they gave to Jesus Jesus was the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. All of these things that were prophesied by Old Testament prophets concerning Jesus, they were happening in their midst. And the answer is clear for John the Baptist. Yes, the Jesus that he knew was indeed the great Messiah. It's a reminder to us that the Bible is such an honest book. It reminds us that a believer can be really strong and grounded in their beliefs one moment. But they can wobble. And that's the way it happened with John the Baptist. He was there saying of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God. Who takes away the sin of the world. No question whatsoever. No doubt whatsoever. But there are questions now. And there are doubts now. It's a changing situation. It's a changing experience. But God's a step ahead of John the Baptist all the time. And God's a step ahead of each and every one of us all the time. He knows about the ups and the downs of a spiritual experience. And he meets all of the needs. He meets all of the needs. And in this area we are told, of Scripture, we are told, I tell you among those born of women, none is greater than John. And I want to say a little bit about that. And then to say a little bit about the next part of the text Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. What on earth does all that mean? Well, in what way was John great? Well, let's remember this. In that Old Testament passage that we read in Malachi, it's not just Jesus that is prophesied about. It's John the Baptist as well. Malachi, 400 years before the event, was saying, not only is the Messiah coming into this world, but there's someone going to come before him and he's going to tell people, get ready, get ready, get ready, he's amongst us. And let's remember this about prophecy. We often think of prophecy as predicting things foretelling things well yes a lot of prophecy does have prediction and foretelling in it but not always let's remember that prophecy essentially was forthtelling. it was God saying something to somebody and their duty was then to pass it on to others and that's what the Bible is It's what God tells people and they pass it on to other people. God uses about 40 people over a period of one and a half thousand years. And today we have got the word of God before us. And you know this. I think sometimes we take the privileges that we have for granted. I don't think it. I know it. You know, during the dark ages and the run-up to what we know of as the Reformation, nobody in the church could do what we've just been doing. Singing a song. Singing a psalm. They wouldn't allow it. Nobody in the church could sit and do what we've just done in reading God's Word. Because the language that the priests read, the Bible, was unknown to any of the people. It was read in the Latin language. And you think, wow, the Reformation has given us massive, massive privileges. And you know, one of the things I fear nowadays with the trend that the church is taking, including our own denomination, is that we haven't appreciated the enormity of what we've got. And that we will let it fritter away. I mean, it's happened in the past and it can happen again if we allow it to.
1: John the Baptist
0: was prophesied about. Do you remember his mom and dad? They were old people and they thought that they were... They were well, they were long past the age of childbearing. But they, they were people who were turning to God and asking God for that blessing and God gave them in their old age that blessing. But long before John was born, he was spoken about, he was prophesied about. That is unique and that makes... That makes John great, but not only was his coming into this world prophesied about, it was prophesied about how he would conduct himself in this world as as well. But let's remember uh, this. John was simply the herald. And remember what a herald was. In, in, in ancient time, I mean, we go on to Google and we go on to our phones and we get them up-to-date news. And in a past age, it wasn't like that. You know, when I when I was a boy, you you, you waited for the, the news newspaper to come. I don't know, it came in the evening with a post and whatnot. And, and unless you listened to the radio, and I never listened to the radio, but you had to wait for the... It was a press and journal, I think, that came and... Uh, You couldn't just get it at the click of a button. It it just didn't happen like that. But in days gone by, the only way people in towns and cities got the news was because there was a town crier. And the town crier went out and he heralded the news. He shouted out the news. No papers, no digitals, nothing like that. The herald was there to just shout out the news. And that's what John the Baptist was. He was there... Heralding the news that this astonishing individual has come into the flow of the human race as it turned out he had already been there for 30 years but there was something very different about to happen now Jesus was beginning his public ministry and for three maybe up to three and a half years he's going to be performing miracles and he's going to be teaching the people in astonishing ways and revealing astonishing things but it's not as if it's brand new to the human race it goes away back to Adam and Eve because they were told on the day they were put out of the garden on Eden someone special is coming and well he's here. And John the Baptist is there saying he's here. He is, he is in our midst. And John the Baptist is saying this Behold. In other words, pay attention. Look out for this. Note this. And what is it he's wanting them to note? Well, above everything else, he's the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. You know, you and I, every living day of our lives, are struggling with one major issue, one major problem. And the really major problem isn't that we're living in a fallen world and there are all kinds of problems out there. There are, that's true, and that's a bit of a struggle. But the really major problem is this, our own sinfulness. That's the real big problem. And sometimes you think that it's going to sink you completely and utterly and absolutely and it will sink us completely and utterly and absolutely if we don't listen to the revelation and the prophecy that God has given to us in His, in His Word. It is so important to listen to what God is saying. Otherwise, we are going to be all over the place. And otherwise, we are going, we are going to sink. You know... I listened to the Archbishop, the Roman Catholic Archbishop of Los Angeles recently, and he was speaking about the fallout from the Roe versus Wade Supreme Court of the United States of America's decision. You know how they've reversed the decision about um, abortion being a... I guess you would say a federal right in the United States of America. Now, it's not that they've ended abortion in America. It would be nice if they had, but that's not what's happened at all. But that's what the activists want us to think. Don't listen to them. It's a lie. It will go back down to individual states. And many of these states will have very liberal views on uh, on abortion. I'm glad that the Supreme Court of the United States has made its decision. But what I found interesting was this listening to the Roman Catholic Archbishop of Los Angeles putting forward this view that he believes that we can reason our way into a child in the womb being a child. And I thought, that's a very strange thing for a man of the church to be saying. And I was thinking about it, I'm thinking, Why on earth is he saying that? And my guess is this, that there's a world out there that wants to do its own thing and part of it is just abort these children that we don't want. We don't want them, so just get rid of them. And it's an absolute abomination. But what the world says to the church is You are people of faith We don't want anything to do with your faith So that we can do our own thing But here is a leading church man And he's basically saying Oh no, no, we're not bringing faith into this equation We're, we're using a reason And you know I think that's a wrong position to adopt The Christian religion is a religion of revelation Or I can put it another way. The Christian religion is a religion of prophecy. God has spoken to us. And God has told us. In Psalm 107 he makes it. Sorry Psalm. I can't remember. Maybe I've got my Psalms mixed up. No Psalm 51 it is. My mother also me conceived. In guiltiness and sin. There's a me. At the stage of conception. And we're not going to beat about the bush. And say well we can reason our way to believing that a fetus in the womb is really a child. When in actual fact God has revealed to us in his revelation to the human race. What is and what is not a a, a child. I think we must unashamedly say, yes, we are believers in God, and this God has revealed things to us, and we believe in the doctrine of inspiration, and so we go to the Bible and that's our cue and that's our foundation and we're not ashamed of it and we're not going to say we can reason our way to a child being a child in the womb being a a real human being through reason no, no, no we believe that this is the creation of God and we believe in the revelation of God and we are unashamedly saying that it's faith that's involved here And the reason I'm so emphatic about that is the greatness of John the Baptist was that he was looking at Jesus and he was saying, look at him. He's been promised since the days of Adam and Eve and he's here now. And there is something great about that. But there is also this, John the Baptist was great in this respect. Do you remember what his message was? It was a message of baptism for the remission of sins. Do you remember in my children's talk today, I spoke about getting that horrible tick out of the ear of the dog and just wanting to get rid of it. There's this kind of almost revulsion with it. Just get rid of it. That's why you and I are here today. Because we have a God who just just gets rid of sin. You know, we in our folly, we in our folly, most of us, probably all of us, have tried to do something about getting rid of our sins. We can't. We simply can't. But we don't need to. Because God gets rid of it. And we only know that because we come to this book. And we listen to what God is saying. Now let's remember what John the Baptist was saying. It's a baptism. And it's tied up with repentance. Now remember what repentance was. There are three major aspects to repentance. One is this. You recognize sin for what it is you know it's, there's a huge relief for a human being in being able to say well this is what I really am I, I hate it, I loathe it I detest it but this is what I really am because you know we spend an awful lot of our lives trying to pretend that we're something that we're not trying to pretend to other people that we are trying to pretend to ourselves that we are and even trying to pretend to God that we are but you know when you stop doing that kind of thing it's almost like it's a huge relief this is me I am what I am recognition of sin but not only does uh, repentance involve recognition of sin it involves regret There's a sorrow over sin. Now I want to make clear here that it's very different. Regret is very different over remorse. Remorse is when you're sorry because of the trouble sin's got you into. Or let me put it another way. Remorse is when you're sorry about the consequences of sin. Now there's a huge difference between being sorrowful because of the consequence of sin and being sorrowful because of sin itself a person who is repenting is sorrowful because of the sin itself and then there's this third thing that is essential to repentance and it's this it's rejection of sin the repenting person just wants to get rid of the sin now that has I need to bring a qualification in there Because a believer is somebody who still has the old man within him. And that's where we get ourselves into all kinds of difficulties. Because there is still something in us, the old man, that still loves sin. But predominantly there is this thing that hates sin. But there's this love-hate battle going on all the time. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, The good that I would, I do not, and the evil that I would not, that I do Who shall deliver me from this body of death? And he gives the answer, Thanks be to God, Jesus Christ our Lord. But my point is this. John's preaching was a preaching of repentance. But you know, repentance never exists without a twin called faith. Faith and repentance go together. You can't have one without the other. And I'm back to my criticism of the Archbishop of Los Angeles trying to deal with things in this world on the basis of reason alone. No, no, no. We are people of faith. And we believe in this God. And we believe in the revelation that God has given to us. And we make that the cue and the stay of all our lives. How do we know today that we can get rid of our sins? only by listening to this God and the revelation that he has given to us in this book of uh, Revelation and John the Baptist's teaching was the exact same as Jesus of Nazareth we need to be people of faith and we need to be people of repentance so the message was great no greater message in all the world but there was this third thing John's greatness lay in this. When Jesus is there, he wants to recede into the background. I want him to increase and I want myself to decrease. Now we are not like that by nature. We are proud, egotistical, arrogant people. We are rotten to the core with that kind of thinking. We are important people, so we think. We must be to the fore. People must pay attention to us. When the Spirit of God invades the life of a human being, that goes. And John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit of God from his mother's womb. And so when Jesus is on the go, he must increase, but I must decrease. And that ties in exactly with the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth himself. Because you remember where greatness in the kingdom of Christ lies. It lies in lowliness. And it lies in humility. And it lies in a willingness to serve. That's where greatness in the kingdom of Christ lies. And so yes this man John the Baptist I tell you among those born of woman none is greater than a John but I must move on to the second part and briefly it will have to be yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he what on earth does that mean? does that mean that John the Baptist wasn't a saved person? it doesn't mean anything of the kind it doesn't mean anything of the kind. Let me read to you from Luke's gospel. And at chapter 10. And at verse uh, twenty twenty-two. Luke's gospel. Chapter 10. And at verse uh, 22. And I've, obviously I've. I've. Um, obviously I've. Taking a note of the wrong of the wrong uh, uh, verse in scripture, but the the verse i 'm speaking about is it speaks about the blessedness of those who were watching Jesus perform his miracles and him explaining to the people what he was all about and why he was in this world. It speaks about the Privilege and the blessedness and the gift the great gift that they had now let's bring this passage of scripture into its own context right now where is John the Baptist John the Baptist is wallowing in a dark dreary dungeon and John the Baptist is wobbling And John the Baptist is saying, are you the Christ? Or should we look for another? Now that privilege that John the Baptist had of knowing Jesus was a great privilege. But right now, who's in the better position? Who would you rather be? Would you rather be the people that are seeing the deaf hear, the lame walk, the blind see... Would you rather be in that position or, or in the dungeon? There's no question. There's no question. Which is the greater gift? Which is the greater privilege? There's no question about that eh, whatsoever. John's in the dungeon. John's eyes aren't on the Christ John's not seeing the miracles being performed. John's not hearing the sermons of Jesus. But there are other people who are. And it's all having a huge effect upon them. And they are being blessed with conversion. And they are being blessed by being joyful in the kingdom of Christ for the first time. There's something great about that. There's something absolutely great about that let's remember this also. John the Baptist was ultimately beheaded because Herodias pushed and pushed and pushed for that. What does that mean? It means this. John the Baptist wasn't there to observe Calvary. John the Baptist didn't hear Jesus of Nazareth say from the cross, it is finished. When he uttered words that were in a psalm a thousand years before, that's, that prophesied and predicted about the work of Jesus being utterly and absolutely and completely finished. You know, I said earlier on in this sermon that Jesus will take our sins and he will obliterate them. They're gone, but they only go at a great price and at a great cost and at a great input. Well he pays the price and he fulfills the cost and he does the inputting and on Calvary's Cross at one stage one of the seven sayings of the cross is this it is finished. And we have these words in the infallible inspired word of God and we can look them up any time we want. And that's a great privilege. John the Baptist had none of it. None of it. And on the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 souls were saved, on the basis of the finished work of Jesus of Nazareth, it was a tremendous boost and a tremendous privilege for the people who were there and who were involved in it. There was a greatness pertaining to them that John knew nothing about. But that all having been said, I must not finish on that note. What I have to finish on is uh, this note. Despite John not having witnessed Calvary, and despite John not having witnessed Pentecost, and despite John not having witnessed first hand the fulfilling of the prophecy of Isaiah, and that the blind were receiving their sight, the deaf hearing, the lame walking, All of these things. Despite all of these things. John the Baptist was not neglected. John the Baptist in his dark. Dingy dungeon. Got from Jesus of Nazareth. What he was needing. And you know what Jesus of Nazareth gave him? The written word. That's what he gave him and it is a tremendous privilege privilege for the fallen human race to have god's written revelation before us because it will meet our every need our every need we don't know that we're alive today and i mean that on a spiritual level Above everything else. I tell you among those born of woman. None is greater than John. Yet. The one who is least in the kingdom of God. Is greater than he. We are here today in the kingdom of God. With astonishing blessings. And astonishing privileges. And the great question is this. Have we responded to God's astonishing blessings towards us in an equally astonishing way? My guess is this. In fact, it's not even a guess. I pretty much know it. At least for myself at any rate. There has not been a commensurate response. And the challenge of this area of scripture is this. Why not? Well, why indeed, why indeed, we are greatly privileged. That's the bottom line. May we respond to the great privileges that we have by bowing and worshipping all over again. Not just this day, but every day of our lives. Amen. Let's conclude by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 67. It's the first version. It's found on page 300 of the Psalter and it's at the beginning of the song. Lord, bless and pity us. Shine on us with thy face that the earth, thy way, and nations all may know thy saving grace. Let people praise thee, Lord. Let people all the praise, all oh, let the nations be glad in songs their voices raise. We'll sing the whole song to God's praise. Lord bless and pity us. Now may grace, mercy, and peace from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest on and abide with